You're listening to the City Light Sermon Podcast, where we are equipping you to exalt Jesus and extend the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Thanks for joining us. As, as we closed up service um, last Sunday, as you guys remember, we had kind of had like a brief uh, worship period, and then we had obviously some family time and discussed and just prayed and cried and, and talked about just where we are and um, what we know and what we don't know and what the Holy Spirit, um, we believe, is doing, um, namely comforting us. Um, one of the things that just began to kind of, uh, kind of shake me or grab a hold of me after that service last Sunday as people exited, whether it's because they exited after worship or exited after the meeting, was just that I hope that people are not alone this week. Um, and, I, and I think that was from part of the Holy Spirit and the application of what we looked at in Matthew 5 of comfort is that our comfort is a provision. And that provision this week, for me, and I know many others, has looked like people. Has looked like people. Um, uh, Chris Armfield's friend, Adam Greenfield, who kind of flew in for this last weekend to help us kind of walk as a congregation, just being somebody that is a leader, but then from an outside perspective, um, was just so helpful for me with just this, honestly, all the things that he offered was wonderful, but one of the things that meant the most to me was he would stop certain conversations, for me personally, and he would just ask the question, how are you doing? And it's funny because a lot of times you don't know the answer to that question until somebody asks you. And there's a ministry that's offered. It's, it's like the ministry of listening that when somebody gives you a platform to speak, all of a sudden you have to extrovert it and the process of healing starts to take place in rapid ways that wouldn't have happened if somebody didn't ask you that. And we all overestimate, I think, the power of internal processing, but we can't underestimate the power of external processing, and that's having somebody beside you that gives you a minute just to share where you're at and is okay exactly where you're at. And to me, that's no less than, than the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer, is that uh, as we continue to walk through all types of life and all types of season, that we would not walk through things alone, and that part of his comfort is not just pie in the sky, you know, he's just going to wave a magic wand over us. But there was a comfort for me when I walked into that elder's room and saw the faces that we were just listening to just now of not necessarily knowing the answers, but knowing who I was with and who I could trust and who would listen and who I was going to be listening to. And that is, I believe, some of that provision. This week has been a heavy week. This week has been, um, this week has been a don't-know-what-to-do week. It's been a staring outside the window, glazed eyes sometimes week. It's been, I don't even know the things that I, like it's looking at like the soccer game that I coached last Saturday um, and usually thinking, I should be enjoying this. This should be this and this and this and all the types of things that last Saturday was, but all of a sudden this Saturday doesn't feel quite like last Saturday because somehow my glasses are different from looking at this, this event. And it's not just on Sunday, it's, it's all the things. It's all of the, the moments in time that, that we're constantly, constantly processing but we know we're in good hands and we know the comforter is doing things that even people beside us can't do. And we know that, that he uses all things. He can use all things and he is working in all things for good and glory. And, and I've just found this week, it's interesting that I call it a thin place. I just feel like my control, my sense of entitlement, my sense of, of self-comfort and coping mechanisms don't work as well this week. And it's not to celebrate in the midst of mourning, but it does recognize that God is close in our time of need. And when we're in an I need you week, he's in an I am type of week. 
He's in a I'm, I am your healing type of week. I am your peace kind of week. And I've always been those things. And it's funny how he, he wouldn't cause, he wouldn't wish this on any person. He wouldn't use brokenness in a family or in a church to teach any sort of lesson because he's not a masochist and he doesn't teach with tough love. That's not the brand standard for the kingdom of heaven. But in those circumstances, I feel like we draw near to him. And the distance between us and him becomes thin. It was, it was the Thursday night worship service time that we gathered and everybody was invited. And I apologize if you didn't get, you know, the notification or, or the invitation. Prayer continually is open on Thursday night. But specifically, we gathered for all those that were able to come to worship. And it was just a close and powerful time of the Lord. It felt like we weren't talking about thoughts or ideas or theology anymore. There was zero religion in the, in the room. And it just felt like God was encountering his people and touching us and meeting us face to face. And that's not because he's not willing to do that all the time. I think it's just because in times like this that our defenses get worn down. And so if you're just gathering with us and, and you don't, maybe this is your first Sunday and you're like, well, this is an interesting Sunday to come and visit. Um, I want to tell you that you're welcome here. And the reality is, is that you don't have to have been here last Sunday to know that there's trauma and crisis in the world. You know, like you could, every time, I'm almost conditioned now, like a Pavlov's, when I pick up the phone, I'm like, well, I wonder what CNN's going to say to me next. You know, I wonder what, sh- what school is going to have a shooting or, or what, you know, racist expression that the community is going to, you know, walk through. Or I wonder what, you know, awful crisis or war or, or famine or trial is going to happen because it doesn't mean, you know, you don't have to be part of the church or not part of the church to know there's trouble in this world and travail in this world. And so if you're new to church or you're like, I don't know what I think about church or what I think about God, I mean, I'd rather tell you now than have you learn later, like trouble doesn't stop at that front door. The one we turn to in times of trouble, hopefully, is, is what we encounter as a family. But the trouble uh, is part of our process. There's, there's on, on, on all walks of life, there's a reigning, is what the Bible says, a, a troubling and a, and a chaotic and, and trialing uh, time. So this week, as, as, I, um, as I always do to whenever I want to make good decisions, is talk to Kyra about what we would talk about this morning. Um, she and her friends have read the Bible um, all the way through in the last two years. They actually just finished up with Revelation. So she's a real smart cookie and, um, and, just, and just very enamored by the scripture, which I think that's the only reaction and response that you have. And so I was thinking, should we talk about, should look at an epistle like a 1 John or 1 Peter, like the love of 1 John or, you know, kind of the hope and the faith and the encouragement of 1 Peter. And without even having to think about it or deliberate, she automatically said, you need to go look at Nehemiah. She said, in all the books that I've looked at, in terms of how the Holy Spirit touches us in broken places and in times of, of upside down and inside out, and I don't know which way is north, she said, the, the, the voice of Nehemiah in the time of trouble um, is, a, is a powerful voice and really, she said, a reflection of the Holy Spirit. As you guys are in Nehemiah 2, and we'll start to read the scriptures in just a moment, Nehemiah actually means comforter. And as we looked at last week um, in Matthew chapter 5, or if we were to go back way far back in the series of Believe in John 14, where it says, um, I'm going to send you a comforter, a lot of times the Old Testament is a reflection of the New Testament in the sense it's an allegorical visual picture of heavenly realities, and as David can almost show us an allegorical picture of Jesus or, or Noah can show us an allegorical picture of salvation, Nehemiah in many ways can show us a dim reflection of who the Holy Spirit is in our life. The Holy Spirit is a comforter, and Nehemiah's name means comforter. 
And he is tasked in the time of brokenness and trial to respond and to act and to build the walls of Jerusalem. And so um, I'm going to be looking at uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. But I just want to set up this context here before I read um, some of the first passages of that, of, of, of that chapter. And so um, the, 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 this is the latter most historical book, along with like an Ezra in the Bible. And it represents a time of captivity when the people of God were nationally under bondage and slavery, first by the Babylonians and then by the Persians. And underneath that captivity, the Persian ruler Cyrus, which is actually in the history books that I teach at Southside and in the Bible that I teach here, uh, Cyrus, it says in the scriptures and the history books, had a, had a mercy on the people of Israel and afforded them a, an authority to rebuild and worship in freedom, gave them a re- religious tolerance and freedom. But despite the access and the opportunity to do it, they, were, they never had a leadership or a vision or an empowerment to actually take hold of the liberty and the freedom that they were offered. And so in that way, it's almost like a picture as though the king were like Jesus, then Nehemiah is like the Holy Spirit. They waited for some 200 years, or actually 140 years, waiting for a leader to guide them into the freedom that they had already had. But without the leadership of Nehemiah in the Old Testament and the leadership, we would say, in the New Testament of the Holy Spirit, we can never walk in true freedom that Christ has afforded us. He is the power to help us walk out the authority that Christ has given. And so Nehemiah, he comes to this king And he's weeping to the king. I mean, just bawling in emotion. And the reason why he's scared and troubled is because picture the most dangerous neighborhood you've ever been in before. And then picture your family, your your wife, your kids, your mom, your dad, your uncle, your babies. And then picture you being in a house with a door that had not only a no lock, but had no door whatsoever. This is the level of insecurity that the Jewish nation is under Israel. The people of God are in a place of brokenness, disarray, and really at the deepest core level, a lack and loss of identity. I don't even know who I am, and I don't know who my God is. My heritage is lost. My family and future is stripped away. I don't have any type of future, let alone present, in understanding where to put my feet. And Nehemiah comes to the king, and he comes weeping to this king. And he asked for permission to the repair, of the, uh, repair of the wall. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King uh, Adaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took, this is first person narrative here, Nehemiah, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Let me step forward here. I had not been sad in his presence before. And then, and the king asked me, are you not sick? Or is this a sadness of heart? Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of the heavens, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. You know, the animal that's most um, aptly chosen to represent the Holy Spirit in all the Bible is the dove. And there's many reasons for that. The Holy Spirit is gentle and kind. A lot of times I think when we think, oh, the Holy Spirit is speaking, we picture this voice that's aggressive or in some cases if we have bad theology, abusive. But the Holy Spirit is grieved and the Holy Spirit is gentle and sweet like a dove. He's not like a hawk. He's not like a, some type of an aggressive animal. 
And the other thing about the dove is that he's very loyal. The thing that they've studied about the dove is that the dove would have a partner, like a turtle dove, let's say. And if that dove were to lose its partner, uh, if that, uh, the second dove, the partner dove, were to die, then the first dove would wait and continually come back to the place of that origin, that their partner had died. That's how loyal the dove, which goes forward to represent the Holy Spirit, is. And so when the Holy Spirit goes and he weeps in front of the king, we get this picture that really comes uh, from Romans, which talks about the Holy Spirit, and it'll be on the screen here. The Holy Spirit is an intercessor, and he groans over his people. You know, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just like a Luke, may the force be with you kind of person. The Holy Spirit has all kinds of emotions. He, has, he can be grieved. He can be jealous. He can be sad. The Holy Spirit can be angry, just like the Father, and Jesus has emotions, just like we're built with emotions. He can weep. And Nehemiah shows us what the Holy Spirit is like in his persona by weeping, and shows us furthermore in his weeping how much he's not weeping for himself, but weeping for his, his bride, or weeping for his partner, or weeping for the one he's committed to, which is Israel, the family, the nation of Israel, which represents his people. Once, once betrothed, always betrothed is the nature of the Holy Spirit. One emotion, though, that you'll never see within the, within the Holy Spirit, it's only an emotion that humans have, but something that the Holy Spirit does not have. And Holy Spirit does not ever practice apathy. You know, I've heard a quote before that love, the opposite of love is not hate, it's apathy. It's just not caring. The Holy Spirit has all types of emotions for all types of seasons, but the one thing that the Holy Spirit never says is, I don't care. Because the Holy Spirit grieves in all of our losses. In the triage of life, in the emergency room of life, when you're waiting on the other end of a 911 call, your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the first responder in every crisis situation. And he comes with an understanding of not only present but also future. And he knows the situation. And he's not just there to be an innocent, apathetic bystander. But he is crying the tears that Israel should have already been crying. At a time when Israel was scattered and broken and didn't even know how much they were hurting. Didn't even know when somebody asked the question, how are you doing? Didn't even, had a kind of dullness of senses. They were so kind of stunned and numbed by some of the things that had gone on for not just a week, but 140 years, no one was able to restore and call back Israel towards the original heritage. The Holy Spirit in Nehemiah went to the king and wept. This is our Holy Spirit. Wept. And not a pity weep either. He's not a weak, his, his, his meekness is not weakness. Remember in Jesus and John, when he cried, he wept over Lazarus, but that was not the end of the story. His weeping would lead to action. His weeping would lead to, to, to comfort, but not only comfort, but healing and building. Let's move on in the story to verse 11, chapter 2, if you go down. And so Nehemiah gets permission from the king. He wastes no time, and as though... As though the problem, even though the problem was not his problem, he makes it his problem. Like in a way, the king's kind of flabbergasted. Dude, you're a cupbearer. You're rich. You live in the palace. None of this has to do with you. you don't, you're not a refugee, you know, struggling to get by. Like you don't have to care. And that's, that's precisely the attitude and the culture and the atmosphere of heaven Stephen brought up earlier is that the Holy Spirit, he, he is not wringing his hands but that doesn't mean he's apathetic. He cares. He's compassionate. He moves on our behalf. And this is what Nehemiah does. He says, 
I went to Jerusalem, was there three days, and then I rose in the night, and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one which I rode. I went out uh, by, the night, by the night, by the valley gate, to the dragon spring, and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down, and its gates that have been destroyed by fire. And then I went to the fountain gate, to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. The Holy Spirit, the heading in my Bible says, went on an inspection reconnaissance mission. He was a builder looking at the dilapidated buildings and not just wringing his hands or folding his arms in apathy, but made an inventory of what needed to be fixed. He was an expert builder. He made himself a builder, though he wasn't one. He learned through the process, Nehemiah the character, learned because he cares about not just holding us, but healing the city of, of Israel, or the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. He wanted to, to fix the dilapidated buildings. And so in this case, in our analogy, he's not just in our waiting room to hold us. But as we sit with the Holy Spirit in a situation of physical or emotional or relational pain, he's not just holding us with us in the waiting room, but his presence carries into the operating room as well. He is, the scriptures say, the, the great physician. In other words, he knows you and your problem more than you know yourself. And there's no set of analysis or observation or you getting caught up to speed in the, in the understanding that you can like finally get some, some understanding on a certain issue or problem. He's already ahead of that. And like a surgeon would know your body better than you know, so your Holy Spirit knows your heart and your soul and your mind better than you know it. And so there's a level of holding that people do. Like I was talking to the, 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 the serve team earlier this morning, like there's a level of comfort that grandma's cookies bring and a telephone line that says, how are you? And a person that remembers to just text you and just say that they're praying for you. There's a certain kind of, uh, of, of compassion and warmth that, that comes from somebody mourning next to you. But what the person next to you can never do, what the person that's holding your hand in, in, in the waiting room of life when you get that phone call from the doctor about a bad report, what that person cannot do, though they can walk with you to the waiting room, they can't go into the operating room and doing the work that the Holy Spirit does. Only the Holy Spirit is the master builder. Only the Holy Spirit can help in our time of need. Only the Holy Spirit can actually heal us. And so the process of how are you doing and listening to the response is not nearly as important and significant as the prayer, Holy Spirit, I need your help. To have a relationship with Jesus, as we spoke earlier, if, if Nehemiah is like the Holy Spirit, the, that Jesus has rendered and opened the heavens to us. But it says even in Romans that it's only by the Holy Spirit that Jesus had the power to be resurrected from the dead. And as we walk in a relationship with Jesus, it also means that we are walking in a relationship with the Holy Spirit who knows us, who, is, who has worked around and taken an inventory of everything that is in our peripheral, those things that we know to worry about and those things we don't even need, know, know to worry about. And so just as we would go to the operating room and we would not tell the doctor what to do or how he should intervene, we would trust in the expertise of the building of the Holy Spirit in our life 
and trust that even while we're sleeping, Scripture says, we read it in, first, in Psalm 121 this morning, he watches over us in our sleep. Did you guys, you, have you ever stopped to think about the fact that Abraham, who cut one of the most important covenants in all of the Scriptures, when that covenant was cut, he was asleep. God does some of his best work in our sleep, and even if we're not in control and not leading the counseling conversation, he's doing work in our lives, and our job is only to trust and know that he is good. Where does my help come from? The scripture says, I look unto the hills. My help comes from the Lord. We're thankful for those that hold us and hold our hands, but we need his help. We need his power. We need his authority. We need his guidance. The last scripture we'll look at today, verse 17, and then it says, I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in the ruins. This is uh, Nehemiah addressing the people of Israel, not the king, not the outside invading territories or the uh, soldiers. He's speaking directly to the people he's trying to help. He's speaking to you and me. He says, the gates are burned. I've made an inventory. But then this is his first sermon. Like if, like if the Holy Spirit were to speak to a city or speak to a church that's in a broken time, in a confused time, this is what the Holy Spirit says to the nation of Israel. I told them that the hand of my God had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And he said, let us arise and build. One of the things I used to tell my youth group and I think it's pithy, but I think it's true, is that although the Holy Spirit's a comforter, he is not a couch. And the Holy Spirit never leaves anything the same, the same way that he encounters it the first time. He always changes. The Holy Spirit's visitation meets us in comfort, but then leads us in change. And he, he, he comes to us in the place of, of brokenness, but then he works in us in a place in a place of building. And, and so I, I, I remember, uh, this is, it's just actually, I think, the Lord's grace this week that Kyra called me in the middle of the day, um, you know, just sharing a story of she went to Publix, and a lot of great things happen to Publix because it's like the new town square, I think, and you kind of run into people you didn't plan on running into, and therefore God can use people that, you know, you didn't necessarily foresee happening. And she got into a conversation with this woman who identified her as Rose's mom, which that's to parents like, we know that's kind of the routine because you, know, you sit and spend so many hours next to people at recitals and choruses and games and things like that, and you're like, oh, whose mom are you? I don't remember your name, but I remember you're Rose's mom. And she said, I remember you because your daughter and my daughter were in the same, uh, I think the same team at the same time when you're in first grade. And she said, how is your husband doing? And my wife, you know, she's just kind of thinking about the week and just normal things and the BOGOs that are going on for Edie's ice cream or hopefully Bluebell at some point um, at Publix. And, uh, and she said, my husband's fine. You know, like, that's kind of a weird question. Why? And she said, oh, I just remember that when we were together um, that one time at, the, at this game that you were talking about uh, your husband and the kidney illness that he was going through. And some of you guys don't know that um, let's see, Rose is in sixth grade. That was five years ago now that um, I had this kidney scare that was kind of like an autoimmune disease where my body would kind of attack my kidneys and the kind of prospects of it were pretty hard, pretty hard, pretty looming and would have put me maybe 10 years out in a dialysis situation. There would be ports that I would have to have. 
Um, I would have been, you know, out of work, maybe immobile, those types of things. And so it was just a very scary and very real um, situation. And she said, how's your husband doing? Um, I remember that when I talked to you that one day at that game, that I had shared a story with you that now when our daughters were two, which would have been, you know, five years before that, give or take, that I had cancer and people prayed for me and I was healed. And then uh, I asked you if I could pray for your husband. How's your husband doing? And Kyra just teared up and even teared up on the phone with me and just said, my husband's healed. My husband is recovered. And, um, and it's funny because what that woman did for me this week is, like, if you ask me that, it's not like I forgot. It was a big part of my story, a big part of my timeline. But the gift that she gave me was the, was the remembrance of it and the feeling because what, think about it, when she brought the story, she didn't know the conclusion. She was listening to the story without the happy ending, and she brought the story without the conclusion to it. And it forced me and Kyra, I think, to sit in that moment and think, I remember what it felt like to sit in a moment waiting on God's provision and not yet having it. And it reminded me of, of, of God's faithfulness through the years. I did not, with all of my might, want to pray or worship during that season of my life. That's the last thing that I want to do. You need to get yourself a Kyra, though, because Kyra used to put on the Bethel TV and the worship in the Hillsong, and she just put on the music, and she, I wouldn't sing, but she would just be singing it at the top of her lungs. And we even saw this week, some of my favorite parts of this week were in worship and in prayer. It's so interesting how the circumstances don't change, but the perspective goes a complete 180 when we're in that place of worship. It is a weapon it is a weapon that the Lord has equipped us with to go and worship. At the, at the end of this story, which we don't have time to get into, but by the end of this story, there is a full-on revival that happens in the, in the book of Nehemiah. Through a process, over a process of 52 days, a revival of not just rebuilding the walls, but rebuilding a faith. And one of the responses to that revival is the place of, there's literally a scripture where it says they fell down hearing the, the word of the Lord and they, their faces hit the ground in worship. That was the only response that they could have when they, when they gave an access point to the Lord to just show me who you are. Just show me who you are. I'm not going to make you up and put a theological box around you. Show me who you are. It's funny because in those instances, when you're just on your face before the Lord and you need something, when you really need a provision, it's funny how easily he can access your attention. And for all the talking that we do, we're an equipping church. Our vision is to exalt, equip, extend. I love memorized scripture verses. I love Bible studies. I love, you know, I've heard it said before, you, you build up a savings account so in times of need you have a checking account to draw from. And my word would be, if I were to look back in a rearview mirror and say, what would I have done the same? One of those would be to meditate and think on scripture even though I didn't want to think about it at the time, having memorized scripture before I got the kidney disease was imperative for the times that I was within that, that, that situation. But all that aside, what I want to say to you, though, is that oftentimes we think of equipping as this, this classroom where we learn something new or this sermon that we get something and understand something different. The greatest equipping of our life happens in brokenness, and we don't like it. The great, some of the greatest growing and stretching and faith muscle building and empathy endowing, and some of the greatest character-building times are the times when we just want to sit on the couch, but God's like, I'm trying to build you right now. And if we're not careful, we can mistake mourning for depression. And we can get stuck on the couch. I remember there's times in college that I would just get stuck 
on something? And that's the question I would ask. Morning is about going slow, but it's not about getting stuck. And my question to you this week and to weeks in, into the future, are we giving access for God to do completely? It's your agenda, God. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to agree with you, not to get you to agree with me. And I will tell you, no matter where you are and what feelings you have this week, is that God is here to build you and build your faith in this season. And it's important that it's not just, it's a literal imperative if either I'll make it or I won't make it through. I remember in college, though, I had this mentor, and one of the things he said, sometimes morning looks like movement. And at that time, I was just kind of sitting in bed, and I didn't want to get out of bed, and I didn't have the motivation to get moving and do things. And he said, don't mistake morning for depression. Morning sometimes looks like movement. It's like I get this picture of, you know, little Dory in, in Nemo, and she's in the dark little tunnel. And what she say, like, when she's going, right, just keep swimming, right? Like, you, you just have to keep swimming. And you don't have to fake it till you make it. You don't have to pretend like you're stronger than you are. But you do have to get out of bed, and you do have to do the laundry, and you do have to connect with others. I know it's uphill. I know that it's hard, but God didn't come to just let you sit on the couch. He's here to build you. He did not come just to, just to meet you and mourn with you. He's here to move you into glory and grace. And sometimes it's going to be painful, and we can't mistake, you know, the, 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 the surgery, the open heart surgery of the Lord for something that's foreign and, and bad and problematic. He's, he's moving you and shaping you for a reason. And so I don't know where you are this week. I thought of a couple words. I thought of the word apathy. I thought of the word anger. Um, I thought of the word appetite. I thought of the little C comforts that we use to try and get through things, just make it through things. The Holy Spirit, over all different types of emotions, is interceding and groaning on our behalf because he cares. And he's not like, the other advice givers in our life and the other ice cream cones or extra drinks that we take at dinner, he's not like that. He doesn't just kill the pain or mitigate things or avoid things. He gets down into the ditch with you. He goes around the parameters of your life and then comes back to you and says, stand up, arise, and build. I'm ready to build something in you. I'm ready to do something in you. I'm ready to comfort you, to create a comfort that looks like strong, healthy walls of Jerusalem. The thing about it is, is that, you know, like, if we don't go through the comforting process, we get stuck and we never grow. And some of us are, like, 50-year-olds in our professions and 50-year-olds in our relationship, but then we get stuck at, like, what we used to do when we were 16 in our coping mechanisms. And so when we're at the top of the mountain, everything's going good, but sometimes when something doesn't work out just right or it breaks or we get disappointed, we go back to this old coping mechanism. And we, and we find ourselves not acting like ourselves, and we find ourselves going back to old habits. We think, oh, whatever. It doesn't really matter in the end. And nothing's ever going to get better. It just becomes this apathetic thing. But the Holy Spirit says in Romans 12, don't be conformed by the circumstance. Be transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm here to build new pathways in you and grow you in this circumstance, not to run back to other lovers and not to run back to other comforts. Maybe you've been angry this week and you've just been like short-tempered with your kids and you don't know where this anger is is coming from, and the Holy Spirit, you know, when you're a little kid, you just put dirt on something and like rub it and make sure that it goes away. The Holy Spirit, he just works in deeper ways than that. He doesn't, you know, wave a magic wand over it. He, he, he scans the parameters of the thing, 
and, and he looks at what's the real root of this issue, and he'll go back to you with it. A lot of us, we've been, like, the reason why this week has shook us is because it remembers us as the, reminds us of the past. It not only hurts here, but it hurts there because I'm thinking, this reminds me of the last time such and such and such and such has happened. And so what if the Holy Spirit gets a hold of that and says, instead of a negative downward spiraling narrative of everything's hopeless and all, it's all going to the ditch, what if he comes in it, into it and says, actually, I'm going to use this brokenness to bring a revival in your life and to draw near to you? Maybe you're sitting in a place of apathy, and you're just like, I don't even want to feel anymore, and, and I don't even want to care. And maybe it's, it's just that the Holy Spirit is just painting a vision for you of, of, of what Jerusalem was built to be and has always meant to be. He's a co-partner. One of the things that you would look at, and I, we might even look at this book a little bit later in the, in the following weeks, but he came by and he would have each person build the wall right in front of their house. So the Cochrans would have their spot in the wall and the Walkers would have their spot in the wall and the Baines would have their spot in the wall. We'd all get up in the morning and we'd go and build our part in the wall. And so maybe, maybe God's just saying, look, without the Holy Spirit, you know, Jerusalem was left to its own strength, its own power, which was nothing. And without the Holy Spirit, they literally had access and opportunity to all the means that they would need to rebuild this wall but for 140 years, nobody could do what Nehemiah did in 52 days. What if you had a faith step with the Holy Spirit to say, I don't know the anatomy of my body, and I don't know the inside of what's down here, and frankly, I'm kind of scared of it because sometimes the things that come out of me aren't anything of what I think's down in there, but Holy Spirit, you're using this to show me some of my brokenness. Will you come along, not only comfort me, but build my life and build my faith? I need, Holy Spirit, not only your comfort, but also your, also your healing. I need your building in my life. I'm gonna pray for us um, as we close, um, but I really do believe that, that this is a time that was not orchestrated or ordained in my understanding, but is being facilitated by the Holy Spirit, and it's a time when I really do believe he's gonna build this church in the ways that he wants. It's funny when you really think about the fact that like, when the devil thought that he had Jesus by killing him, that was the exact same time that Jesus took and gained some of the, the greatest battle and the greatest war ever won. And every opportunity, every, every obstacle that we ever see in all these scriptures, let alone in Nehemiah, every single obstacle put in the hands of the Holy Spirit instantly becomes an opportunity for his grace and glory. God, I thank you right now that you are just right here. And you are the first responder in every scenario. And you come... And you are, not, you are not worried at all. You're not scared. In fact, you're confident. You care so much. You weep more than we do about our own pain. You didn't, you didn't need this. You didn't cause this. You didn't cause the problem, but you did come to become part of this family and this solution. And I thank you that you're closer than our, than our closest friends. I thank you for Holy Spirit-inspired moments and the faith that it would require sometimes when those moments are painful and hard to go with you and face the brokenness in those walls, to build the wall that's right in front of us. I thank you that you are just future forward healing marriages right now because you're actually asking us to face the brokenness for the first time. And it's not just an idea or a theoretical sermon, it's a real life scenario. There's no religion in this place. There's no, I know the answer and I'll figure it out. I remember brother one time, this da-da-da-da. No, there's just you. That's a good place to be. 
I pray that we won't leave this place. I pray that we won't get apathetic and move on too quickly. I pray that you would, you would truly take out the architecture blueprints and build in us what you'd want to do, God. We're agreeing with you, and we are looking to you, and we are seeking you, and we know that in your hands there is fullness of joy, peace, and righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.